you're listening to The Chartographer. It is a music-loving podcast for music-loving people where we take every single album by a particular artist and we rank it all from worst to first. It's a thing that we do and we've been doing it for a hot little bit. And guys, we are continuing our journey through season four where we take on little idiosyncratic artists, different things, personal touches that we don't feel like would belong in a regular main full season. And as such, we've gone on journeys. And to everyone who's listened to season four so far, thank you so much. Uh, it's been extraordinary, the response we've received. Uh, so even more than that, though, we wanted to try something because you know what? We've been doing this. We have over 47 artists that we've done so far, and none of them have even been close to the genre of country. Uh, and the thing is that there's a lot of great picks that we could do. I think there are ideas potentially in mind for like a Johnny Cash or a Dolly Parton or other ones uh, to move on in the future. But right now, I wanted to pick one of my all-time favorite artists, someone who is country, uh, but at the same time is largely ignored country and is ignored by country radio, which is very unfortunate and sad, and we will hopefully rectify some of that today by ranking the artist of one of the smoothest vocalists, one of the most stylish people that we know. That's right, guys. Today we are ranking the one, the only, the best new artist of 2000 for some reason. Thank you, Grammys. That's right, guys. We're talking about Shelby Lynn. Uh, the sister of Allison Moore, if you're nasty. So, Shelby Lynn. Uh, she, <laughs> That's uh, all you could come up with. <laughs> the thing, I, she doesn't really have any other alter egos or identities. She, she, she's, not, she's not Sasha Fierce. No, she's... No. <laughs> I would live to see that, though. I would live <laughs> to see that. Uh, but more importantly, though, uh, Shelby Lynn, uh, she grew up, uh, was born in Quantico in uh, Virginia, and then uh, spent a lot of her time growing up in Alabama. Uh, she has her sister, uh, Allison Moore, who later went on to become a country artist as well. Uh, they lost both their parents when they were teenagers, and ultimately this is the journey that uh, started Shelby Lynn going down and doing country. Started out with a George Jones duet uh, that went into the top 50 uh, that then led to her signed to Epic Records, which then led to her putting out other albums. But the thing is that early 90s, 80s country albums come up of a very specific type, and there was a very specific style of production, and a very specific you're a diva and we're going to write all the songs for you or pull from the Nashville Songwriting Factory, which she didn't really like. So ultimately she decided to mix things up, went with a smaller label, put out a swing album, and she's never been the biggest like country you know like radio success story ever but then around 1999 she came out with an album defiantly called I Am Shelby Lynn kind of declaring guess what everyone I'm here and it kind of shot her into the mainstream a little bit which led to her run of going through different labels trying out different styles working with different producers and it is epic beyond belief. I can't believe we're talking about it. It's finally here. Who are the people that are going to be talking about it? Let me tell you. First off, there's me. I'm Evan Sadi. You might know me as the interview editor of Pop Matters. I also write for other places, but more importantly, Four Seasons In, guys. I hope you know me as the host of this podcast. I really, really do. Uh, because if you know anything about the podcast, then you know the person <laughs> sitting next to me. The Bill Botel to my uh, Shelby Lynn. That's right, guys. It is Taryn O'Reilly! Hello, everyone. I hope you kept up. <laughs> Maybe try listening to the first five minutes of the episode on 0.75 speed. Um, and then yeah. you can discern what just happened. Um, I'm I'm doing great. Good. How are you, Evan? Good. Uh, now, this is one where the thing is we kind of worked through and realized that you actually, you I think going into this, you weren't sure if you had heard Shelby Lynn before. No, so I knew that I had heard 
of her. And like you had given me a couple songs on mix CDs at various points. But then, yeah, once I actually started listening, I realized, oh yes, absolutely. My dad had a couple of these records. So like there were a few songs on here that I knew very well because they were favorites of his. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, of course, there's a little bit of nostalgia goggles. Yeah. Um, and there's a few like, like 10 Rocks, for example. It's not necessarily like my favorite, favorite song after listening this week and uh -huh. hearing the whole discography, but like, there's just so much, so many memories there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was just a really fun experience to dive in and rediscover that and hear some of the other experiments that she's done. And yeah, I'm excited yeah. to talk about it. Great. Well, even more than that, I'm excited to talk about it with you, but I'm most excited for our guest. Of I've known him for years. He is a very, very good friend. And most importantly, we've done a lot of searching and we have absolutely found one of the top 10 Shelby Lynn fans in the Chicagoland area. That's right, guys. Please welcome to the podcast, Nathan Dunbar. Hello. How are you doing? I am great. It's exciting to be here. Yeah. It's a heavy mantle to wear top 10. <laughs> But I will bear it well. Yes. Hopefully I can, you know, rank high in the top ten. We'll see how yeah. that goes. This, this podcast might move you up the rankings. You might be top five by the end of this. Well, I would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, you, you've had Shelby Lynn in your life for a while, right? Yeah. I mean, it kind of, my awareness of her began with I'm Shelby Lynn. Uh -huh. I kind of, you know, put her in the in the kind of the pop world. Mm -hmm. um, and she played in mainstream radio uh, with Gotta Get Back was a very, like, adult contemporary hit mm -hmm. when it came out. So that's kind of how I became familiar with her and I could begin following her. Um, she did a couple guest spots on other people's records. She sang a song with Faith Hill on one of Faith Hill's records. Mm -hmm. So I've also been a country fan, you know, ish for a while. So, um, and we will argue later about what genre <laughs> I think she belongs in. Okay. Yes. I'm very excited uh, about yeah, that. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Well, good. Fantastic. We're happy to have you. And most importantly, we're going to have, of course, our arbitrary ranking of her discography. But the question of her discography is a little bit interesting because technically she has, I believe, 13, four, no, 14 albums. She has a lot of albums, is what I'm trying to say, especially if you count Merry Christmas, her 2010 Christmas record, which uh, we will not. Uh, but most importantly, again, as we talked about earlier, her early career was very much spent as kind of like a product of the country music machine. So she really didn't start getting in songwriting credits until her 1995 effort, Restless, but that means Sunrise, Tough All Over, Soft Talk, and to a degree, Temptation and Restless. They're all kind of part of this scene where she was basically part of it, grew up with it. She was always the most promising new talent. In 1991, I believe she won the uh, Academy of Country Music Award for Most Promising New Vocalist or something like that. And it's just like, great, but none of it really translated into radio hits or anything else like that. She's very much kind of a standard, uh, you know, like country, you know, voice that you heard. And so as a, she took the range of her career, and that's why in 1999, starting with I Am Shelby Lynn, she really launched herself into prominence. That's why she won the Grammy for Best New Artist, because, wow, we know who you are now, which is so funny because it was literally her sixth album that she won that on. So as such, for that reason, we are actually going to be talking about essentially modern Shelby. We will not be ranking, we've talked about this earlier beforehand, we're not going to be ranking her uh, albums where other people wrote songs for her that she really doesn't like anyway, uh, kind of her first five, really. Yeah, and I do still support that. It is sort of interesting, though, because you were the, you know, person who really wanted to do this episode and I was happy to of course and so you said that and we were like great and then actually like listening this week you know listening to a couple of tracks from those records it was like oh you know this sort of like more than like for example early Michael Jackson or like some of the other people where we've cut out their early career mm -hmm. I felt sort of like oh this does sort of like still lend itself to the continuum of her career mm -hmm. like her arc 
But on the other hand, like there is a big break between the two and like so it's we'll we'll talk more about them later, but there are still some like cool moments on there. Right. Well I think too to that point, most people are just so unfamiliar with the country albums, if we try to decide to rank those, yeah. they wouldn't really understand what that meant. Right. So I think it's fair to start with I'm Chevy Wynn, because that's when people begin to know who she was. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. And the thing is that there's still some stuff to talk about on those records, uh, but we'll get into that in a moment. Uh, and also, again, it's just kind of our tradition where we don't rank holiday albums, because what kind of monsters are we if we're going to be ranking holiday I albums? I mean, yeah, we don't, do, we don't do... Um, it's beginning novelty to look exactly. in general. Come on. Yeah. Except from the time we did it, we were episode which is uh, one of our most plays not there <laughs> <laughs> all right so that means the albums that we are going to be ranking are uh of course her big breakthrough i am shelby lynn from 1999 her turn towards pop in terms of love shelby in 2001 her uh self-produced stripped down identity crisis from 2003 her even more rootsy tootsy suit yourself from 2005 her uh tribute to dusty springfield that was the phil ramon produced just a little lovin from 2008 there was her self-release Least forming her own record label Tears, Lies, and Alibis 2010. Her Prince album, where she wrote, recorded, and played every instrument herself, Revelation Road from 2011, for the record, sounds nothing like Prince. Uh, there is her live band recorded from the floor album I Can't Imagine from 2015. And then there is her collaborative duets album with Alison Moore, No, Not Dark Yet, from 2017. Uh, so that is a good set of nine albums. And I feel like one of the things there is Not Dark Yet, it's the, well, just the loving, I feel like, is something that absolutely is part of the conversation because that is a very specific style that she's going for. She basically put out a jazz album on Lost Highway, which is a record label decently known for uh, lots of alternative country uh, art artists as well. It was kind of a bold move for her to do. I'm not sure jazz is the word I'd use, but anyway, continue. It, it, yeah, but still, like, it's very much a kind of a telegram from artist to influence. It's fascinating. While Not Dark Yet is a different beast altogether because it's essentially the same thing, nine cover songs and one original, but it's also a duets album with Alison Moore as well, so it's kind of another covers album on there, but I think we're kind of leaning towards including it in terms of a ranking. Because also I know Nathan has a lot of strong feelings about uh, including it as well. Yes, I do. Yes, yeah, very much so. So I'm looking forward to us getting there. Okay, yeah. fantastic. Well, in that case, we that leaves us with nine albums, nine slots. Of course, this is a completely arbitrary, but still very fun. I'm very excited to talk about it because uh, there's a lot to get into. So most importantly, because we're all going to outvote each other and it's going to be pleasant and fun and friendly, uh, it still means that Nathan Dunbar, you are the special guest, so that means you get the unenviable task of slot number nine in terms of nine slots. Nathan, what would you describe as the least best <laughs> Shelby Lynn album? Thank you for not making me say worse. Yes. I just can't do it. I love Shelby so much. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it may surprise some, you know, staunch Shelby fans. Um, my number nine, I think, would be Identity Crisis. <gasps> oh my god. I <laughs> The faces, if you could see them. Ooh! Um, it's a great album. I just think she got better. Mm. <laughs> well, there's some stunned silence mm -hmm. here. Yeah! <laughs> wow! I just feel like she swung so 180 from everything else, and I get her intent, and obviously the title of the album. Uh -huh. um, for me, I just feel like it was too stripped down, too raw, too bare, too to just like there was not as much production value as other albums of course but 
you guys are just on these crazy faces. If you, you listeners, if you can see the faces, I know. Well, I have I, no I, idea how to get that reaction. I think there's just I, for, I was just kind of working under the idea that there was kind of a Shelby consensus in terms of what is like kind of her up there albums. Because like I even for Pop Matters, I wrote the review for I Can't Imagine, and I didn't give it the strongest score in the world. But another mm-hmm. critic wrote as like a, a take two that they did yes. and wrote and gave it a very strong score as well. Which I'm like, that's fine. I understand she can be divisive on some of these albums here. But I just, uh, I was under the impression that Identity Crisis was considered one of the stronger ones. So to hear it out the gate as that your nomination for the ninth slot is just very striking to me. Yes. Um, because I remember very specifically, I too was a very early fan of I Am Shelby Lynn. That's how I got on the train way back in 1999, 2000. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the thing is, I remember Love Shelby literally, that just kind of passed me by. And I didn't really hear it until this week. So I have a lot of strong thoughts about it. Uh, but the thing is, Identity Crisis absolutely sucked me into its world. Because I remember from the very first song when you hear telephone just this very mm-hmm. stripped down ah, you know just like this her vocal takes or just this very easy breezy feel to it i'm like yes this was just like this sure. kind of like break that we needed from her kind of getting lost a little bit in the pop world yeah well and telephones are my favorite songs too of hers so yeah. conversely there's that but i <laughs> yeah i just feel like others for me yeah. you know we, we all it's all about opinion here and, and personal <laughs> feelings yeah were were ranked higher. Yeah, I you know so I, I can understand where you're coming from there because t- for me this is a very lopsided album. I really like the first half. I think Telephone Solid, Ten Rocks is like okay. It's a gospel number. Yeah, it's really groovy. It's yeah. really groovy. Yeah, yeah. It's not. It doesn't do anything like too incredibly original, but it's just it's pleasant and fun to listen to. I think If I Were Smart is a solid ballad. I think Gotta Be Better is like a nice little, like, because that one to me is not really stripped down at all. Like, there's still a lot going on there in the production. And then from there, for the most part, it just kind of falls into, and uh, truly the title of the album, Identity Crisis, from there she just is sort of, and even the songs I like are kind of this, she's just sort of trying on different hats, Mm -hmm. like various different, uh, like there's a blues song and there is like a classic country song and there is like a Mm -hmm. sort of like almost 60s beachy song sort of. And so it's just sort of, and and then even the ballads are very classic ballad structures. So while she doesn't like fail in any sense, especially the second half of the record, like Evil Man, Baby, One with the Sun, they well, all sort of feel like, yeah. you know, just sort of new genre takes. Genre experiments. Genre experiments. Yeah. And she doesn't do a ton new with them. So while I would definitely put <sighs> Identity Crisis higher personally, I absolutely understand what you're saying, mm-hmm. that it doesn't, like, there are big chunks of this album that mm-hmm. don't do a ton for me. Right. And I think if you look at it in chronology of her career, even the title to me feels a little obvious. Because mm-hmm. um, it was right after I Love Shelby, which was her super poppy, super overproduced, super ignored, made for yeah. radio attempt, yeah. almost, um, which I kind of liked. Yeah. Um, I liked it. Yeah. Um, but like to your point, like Lonesome is a very, very country song. Lo- I mean, yeah. Oh, and then the harmonies on it are so good. Yeah. That is the that's one, like pure Patsy Cline. That's the one yes. thing like throughout this whole. This whole week, every time there's like three part country harmonies, I'm like, sign me up. <laughs> like, yeah, and, and a lot of songs where I'm like, this is a pretty boring ballad. You know, it would have helped. 
Three harmonies. harmonies. Yeah. But if you yeah. just put that on the chorus, I'd be into it right now, and I'm just not. Yeah. I, I just kind of like, it's mostly for me, like, I feel like she was obviously trying to strike out on her own, like, totally on her own. Right. And, and really find herself. And I feel like that was overtly apparent on this. Not a bad thing, it's just, right. I think other albums, for me, are above that. And not that this is bad in any way. Right. That's why I said, sure. I struggle with worst to first terminology, and I told you that, I'm like, I can't do it. Right, exactly. So, so there, therefore, them. you won't care if we outvote you on right. particular occasions. And I still yeah. listen to it regularly. Yeah. So I listen to other ones. Other, other, other and for me, one, like, so. I just, the thing is, the thing is, she, because she's not so adherent to genre, that's one of the strengths of I Am Shelby Lynn, is how, like, it's a country album technically, but it opens with this fucking really big isn't. wall of sound blast of, yo, last well, Like, it's just like, mm-hmm. takes you away and then for identity crisis it is stripped down but even when she gets to like uh buttons and bows when it opens with that little striking <laughs> one of my favorite opening lines exactly yeah <laughs> your mom, your mom is, is a whore and your daddy's dead your dad is dead you know and just like it has this nice easygoing vibe it's still loosely country in that sense too but at the same time i like that she's trying all the things i have a very strong uh affinity for identity crisis so i would fight you mm-hmm. on ranking it down this low uh but since we're discussing it before yes. we get to outvoting or anything else like that i just want to know taryn uh-huh. what would you have dropped down in number nine um so it's between two okay <laughs> um <laughs> it's it's hard to say because um Somebody already said they loved this album, but mine would be Love Shelby. Yes, Love Shelby, man. um, And the thing is, the thing about Love Shelby is that I actually do think there's a couple, like, really great songs on here. There's, she hasn't put on any records where I'm just like, well, this is total dog shit. Yeah. You know? She she didn't go full jewel and go dance pop. Like, like, I really like, I actually think that Bend is pretty great. Um, but I do think that that same chord structure shows up elsewhere in her career and she does it slightly better. I do also think that, what was the other one? Killing Kind. Frick. Killing Kind is fine. Okay. Um. That was a single. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Wasn't it on the Bridget Jones Diary soundtrack or something? Possibly. So with the video, she was like walking along the cliffs of Greece on those big white you know, white uh, structures. I forget yeah. what city in Greece it is. Mykonos, maybe? Yeah. yeah. Um, it was, again, produced for the masses. Yes. And, um, which I feel in Shelby's heart was like, oh, I gotta get out of this. That's just not who I am. Yeah, because so, yeah. also I know Wall in Your Heart was used very prominently in the movie Shallow Howl as and she well. Still, she still performs for playing Napoleon in her concerts. Yeah, so she actually she, on her Live at McCabe's album, yeah. she does an acoustic she, rendition of that. There's some stuff she likes on this. Yeah. So. I, also, I, I also think she would agree with you, too, that she would probably rank this one her least favorite. Yeah. If I also, ask her. I do, I do like... Um, Ain't it the truth? Also, mm-hmm. if you get past the roses are red, um, which which is something you have to get past. But I I think the the outro of it almost makes me think of like uh, Beatles, A Day in the Life, or like um, you know, just yeah. it swells and becomes sort of cacophonous and like it's like strings and trumpets and it's pleasant, but like they're sort of fighting each other. And yeah. I just think it's it's a, a sort of cacophony that you don't see anywhere else in her career so I, I i don't know i thought that number was really fascinating but other than that mm-hmm. there's just a lot of like, I really produced moments hate love shelby and i'm so <laughs> sorry nathan i know you're no. a guest and i said well, this is all what you love and what you don't exactly you and jesus on? christ it's one of those things where like it's just because the thing is that bill bertel produced uh i am shelby lynn he was the person who produced uh tuesday night music club by uh cheryl crow kind of her big debut mm-hmm. uh and so there's this very big warm sound to it like her song 
songs are fantastic on there. The production, I think, really opens that album up. And here she worked with Glenn Ballard, who is probably most famous for producing Jagged Little Pill by Alanis Morissette. Uh, so as such, a very different style, but honestly, it's like pop to like just the limits of point where like we love pop music, and it just feels so disingenuous because I can't believe that Shelby Lynn, a writer as good as Shelby Lynn, would write a fucking song like Jesus on a Greyhound. It's like so utterly, just atrociously, obviously, we're not only going to get the country, we're going to get the Christian right on it, too. Like, it's a kind of this faux inspirational ballad that I just can't get behind. And worst of all is, trust me, the opening of the album where you have this kind of, like, strummed acoustic thing and just, like, she does the spoken word intro where you're, hope, dreams, and then to later on, let me take you to a place <laughs> where truth talks back. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about, Shelby? My God. Well, it, you know what this you know what this album rhy- reminds me of? What? American Life by Madonna. You know, just like oh. just like that okay. sort of like acoustic early weird. Yeah. early 2000s just like there's like some spoken word bits <laughs> and then there's like and it's just that I think I think part of why this album bugs me is not because I mean Jesus on a Greyhound is terrible, but even the the rest of it is like it's, it's, it's favorite not. Song. It's not. I'm a story. Bad. Okay. It's not bad. It's just that it it's dated. Mm-hmm. It's dated in a way that nothing else in her career is. In that like the production choices that are very like late '90s on I Am Shelby Lynn still feel in that sort of like nebulous place outside of time and genre. Okay. You know, like yeah, yeah. Because she and then later in her career, you know, you have a lot of just like good solid guitar and vocal songs and that you know that could come out at any time whereas like love shelby really really sounds like 2001 to its detriment when compared to the rest of the discography all right well we're 22 minutes in and we don't have a ranking as of yet so i feel like we should maybe entertain either other nominations or we should talk a little bit uh more because the thing is that like i have a strong feeling for identity crisis i still understand why you put it here Mm -hmm. i'm okay with it not be a number one necessarily uh i just feel like there's other albums especially when you're talking about that stripped down aesthetic of hers uh i'm surprised that you would pick that as her lowest ranked and not something like tears lies and alibis because that's another one where i feel like it's a good album it is extremely front-loaded at the mm-hmm. same time right i love it when she gets in like because uh because i mean i'm not necessarily nominating i'm just kind of putting it out there as kind of a a feeler to see other common ground because we can't outvote i don't want to outvote but yeah <laughs> Well, I think I probably has been established that I am, because, which is fine. <laughs> very fair, very fair. I mean, right, is, exactly. this, is this a democracy? I, I guess we're voting. So, yeah. um, what is this fine? I mean, it's just it's again. It's, I think it's all. What what strikes you about Love Shelby that's so resonant? You know, I think it's it's also nostalgic for me because I played it so much when it came out. It was on my radio. I might like I played it in my car a ton because yeah. I just. Mm-hmm. Found it pretty groovy. I think you made a great point. It is a very 2001 sounding album. Uh-huh. And thinking about her, you know, her career with that complete turning point with her Remy win, I mean, Strike While the Iron's Hot. Yes. Let's, let's, let's keep going with this because this people liked it. She won an award. It's given one more pop album, um, which I'm going to make a, a broad assumption she probably acquiesced to because she wanted to further her career, but then realized. This is this is not me, and so I'm going to swing the complete opposite direction and go Identity Crisis, yeah. which again is a great album. It is just my least, my least best out of the one. Okay, yeah, so I, I there's absolute value to it. There's absolute total merit to it. 
the songwriting, the performances, and her vocal ability, I think, is un- unrivaled um, in today. I mean, to watch her perform, mm-hmm. no ear micro- earpieces, nothing. It's just her singing, never off pitch, never off key. Mm-hmm. And I think this album feels like it could have been a live album, the way it sounds. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. But, well, and, but a little spoiler alert for our listeners. Uh, before we went on mic, uh, Nathan revealed to us he's seen her live three times. So mm-hmm. he has a very strong connection to her in that sense of seeing these songs. Now, I read it in review literally just today going into it where I talked about someone mentioned that one of Shelby Lynn's strengths is that she never oversings. Mm-mm. And I hadn't really... Th- I like. I'm not sure if I fully agree with it, but I can see why that point would be made. I think that's another reason why Love Shelby bugs me a little bit because it's the only time I hear her over singing. I hear her like shout. Like on Jesus and a Greyhound. I, I hear her that shout singing a little <laughs> yeah. bit and I have to blame the producer. And because because I know that he did Alanis and that's kind of a, such a huge part of Alanis's brand. And so then it makes me feel like, you know, while they were in the studio, you know, he would go, that was great, but do it again and try just giving me a little more power behind mm-hmm. it. You know what I mean? And of, and of course, as a producer, he has a say in which takes get chosen. Of course, she has a say in that too. But it's the only time you see it. Yeah. And so it, when whenever there's something like that, and it's like that's the only time she worked with that producer, it's easy to, to blame it on that circumstance, you know? Well, just on a Greyhound, my, my one thought on yes. that, I mean, it's... it's, it's I can see why, you know, there's such an aversion to it. It's very, like, pandering to the Christian right. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that was her intent when she wrote it. I think it was just... I would agree. Um, there's a lot of a lot of talk. There's a lot of... There's even a song about when, quote... My making air quotes for the listeners here. When, <laughs> when Jesus comes back, we'll probably have to put him in an insane asylum because we think he's a crazy person. Mm-hmm. So I, there's, there's a song called What If Jesus Came Back Like That, a country song. I forget who sings it. Somebody on the listing will There's also What If God Was One of Us by Joan Osborne oh, back in the day. Well, anyway. What so, if God? Oh, well, I think but, that's also, because it's been done. Yeah. It had been done a couple times. Yeah, so era. I feel like that song would make a great book. If you wrote this book about yes. Jesus coming yes. back and people not knowing who he is mm-hmm. and he's a stranger who can make things happen on a bus with you or whatever the situation may be. But I feel like, I mean, it was a little, you know, a little pandering to get our country fans still on our side. Um, Jesus on a Greyhound and Nathan Dunbar mystery. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think, again, my, my not ranking it last, it's yeah. just my, my nostalgic love for right. listening to it so much when it came out. I just really enjoyed you know, it um, for, its, for its pop value. Yeah. It made me happy to hear it. So, cool. You know. Well, I think that just for the sake of moving the podcast along, I think Taryn and we will agree in voting uh, Love Shelby at number nine. Uh, and again, it's, well, the thing, the, well, the thing I love though is that the thing is that we are still. I would say, Tim and I are much more pop oriented people. I feel like you're much more of a country has that as a larger knowledge base as well. And I think this is good for podcast listeners too, because when people think about Shelby Lynn, there are going to be differing opinions of what her career is. Her career is so diverse and wild and fascinating that I'm excited to see what. You, Nathan, because we've, I've kind of thrown a couple things out there, but I just kind of want to see what you would potentially put as the album right after that, number eight. Uh, would be Love Shopping. Oh, okay. oh! Yes. Well, I thought... No. I thought that you were saying it was like your favorite thing. No, 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 favorite. no, 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 I didn't say it, I said I like it. I said I love it so much, it's number one. 
Revolution's not my least favorite. Jesus oh, that's Christ. So funny. Yes. Okay, great. All right, cool. Because so conversely, I'm calling, you know, everything you guys just pointed out. Yeah. Yes. So, <laughs> I was like tiptoeing around like, this is his favorite album. No, it's not. Okay. Okay. Jesus it's, Christ. I like it. No, no, no. Don't do that no, to me. Never. You said before we got on mic that you really liked Love Shelby, and I me do. and everyone were both like, oh, no. I do. Oh, Oh, I said there. I like them all. I try yeah. just and and maybe I'm a little too partial, impartial yeah. to her stuff. But I just it's <laughs> I have a hard time picking a best to least. Okay. Sure, sure. So, but okay. I, I can do it. I have well, made myself think about great. this. So. Well, and you've already thrown an identity five. crisis out there as a nomination. I would like to officially throw Tears, Lights, and Alibis as my number eight pick. Okay. Um. So I'm mostly fine with that. I had this like maybe two spots higher. Uh-huh. I really like the song Alibi. Yes. yes. That might actually be like... One in, of my top ten. Like, in my top three. Oh. Like, her vocal take on it, it's just so yes. gorgeous. And then there's nothing else on this album that even comes close. Lover Dreamer is like, Love nice. Dreamer. Uh... That's oh, literally oh yeah. oh and, and rains came yeah. yes uh, oh yeah loser dreamers yeah yeah uh, I like I like specifically the hoodwinds that come in on yeah. rains came um, I think it's a really nice effect yeah. and it elevates the song. It's a such lot. an upbeat song about depression. It's so good yeah, <laughs> yeah. and honestly even why didn't you call me which jumps right in afterwards this I one minute forty second that song yeah. so why didn't much you call me? she has great songs about telephone calls she really does yes. like across her discography that and the thing is I love it it's less than two minutes it just gets in gets out does mm-hmm. its thing it's just such a simple sweet little she pop joy in her shows yeah she loves it too. Oh, it's the, it's a delicious little song, a little, little piece of candy. Yeah. <laughs> on the flip side, yeah. on the flip side, um, something to be said about airstreams. Is there? <laughs> well, I know. Does, this... does she in fact actually say anything about airstreams <laughs> in the song? It's metaphorical. I'm still not quite sure for what. Right. I know. Um, and even um, when I interviewed her, because I interviewed her around the time of this album, so and I partnered it as well for this album. You did? Yes, oh, he wow. did too, yeah. Okay, what yeah. was that for? Um, he used to write for music magazines, I forget which publication, back in Nashville. He also interviewed her for Tears, Lies, and Alibis. Oh, nice. So, pretty cool. Yeah, yeah the, the little connection that we yes. have here. But when I spoke about it, like, she talked about, like, it talked about the subjects of her songs, how, like, it feels like heartbreak is the thing that runs through her discography. It is. And she kind of talked about how, like, yeah, I mean, yes, but she wouldn't talk about the inspirations of any of these songs. And we'll get into that in a little bit, but she just said that I'm a private person, I have a private life, and end of story. Like, she just <laughs> kind of cuts it off right there. Which I thought was very interesting. She said, I guess I'll just be writing songs about Airstreams at one point. So, I think she's probably proud of that, but I just don't know why. Because the thing is that, like... <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, like old number seven, this kind of like very low, like slow whiskey lament that goes mm-hmm. on. Like I dig it. I understand its inspirations there, but ultimately the rest of this album, it's fine. Like I enjoy the start mm-hmm. of it. I'm glad that when she put out her own record label, when she's doing this as her own producer, yeah. that she makes some bold swings there. But it's again, as with everything in her discography, I like parts of it. It's not my favorite. It's not the worst thing I've ever heard mm-hmm. though. Well, see, I think you know, like I said, you know, the new crisis was a complete swing away from her pop this was another swing into her like completely owning everything about herself mm-hmm. i think she did their job with the year mm-hmm. because it's all her i agree alibi like just rips your heart out and stomps on it in a beautiful 
wonderful, gorgeous ways. The perspective um, which she's writing from and is for, just, yeah. you know, respect for her privacy. She talks about, you know, I'm not going to speculate what the song is about, but I, every time I imagine who is she singing that song to, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. I, I have thoughts that will not say because it's, you know, I love Michelle being she's private, leave it that way, but I, I, I just, you want to cry for her because who is she the alibi for, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I agree totally. I'm glad you pointed it out. It's such a gorgeous, gorgeous song yeah. that I would be curious to see even somebody else do a take on it. Yeah. You know, even more of a country flavor than she did. Mm-hmm. You know, Old Dog on this was very much a country song. I mean, mm-hmm. Old Dog, come on. It's always, you know, a yeah. dog dying or something. But yeah. Um, yeah, this one I would solidly put fine eight or seven. Okay. You know. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Taryn, what else would you have nominated in this slot? Um, I probably would have gone with I Can't Imagine. Um, which again, not a bad album, just an unremarkable album for me. My big takeaways were, um, Sold the Devil, Sunshine, has a really great groove, especially in the second half. Mm -hmm. Son of a Son of a Gun, so you're the granddaughter, grandson of a son of a gun? Yeah. What's happening? Son of a son of a... And yeah, I don't know, that, that was... Oh, and be in the now. I like to be in the now. Oh. It's 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 a little jangly. Yeah. Positive. It's not amazing, but it's a plaque hanging on your wall. Yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> a live, laugh, love plaque. It definitely like on <laughs> the one hand, well. like I liked listening to it, but then when I p- really paid attention to the lyrics, I was like, okay, this is sort of hokey. Yeah. Um, Which is not a stance she usually takes. To she's not usually that hokey. Right. You know, right. Yeah. And the thing is, for me, I kind of agree. I black back to her front porch. I kind of hate. Um, genuinely, because that fair. is that drawn out chorus there. But so the devil sunshine, son of a gun, and honestly down here because like once it's like yeah in the country, then those group vocals come in, rolling down here, and then the electric guitars like have a little bit of a feel to them. Like oh okay, if you're gonna do an album where it's a live band, you're recording straight from the floor, that's the kind of vibe you want to get on there. I get it. That that song feels absolutely appropriate for what she's trying to achieve with that. And then the rest of it. Um, I you know I can't imagine the subtitle track is kind of a little bit of a takeaway from me, but the rest of it I'm just kind of like, Meh. you know, it's one to have on, but I don't really pay that much attention to because it's all the texture on this album. Unlike some of her other albums, which have very distinct textural tones, that one I can't imagine it's just kind of a glaze. It's just kind of one sound that she kind of has. Well, and over I it. do think that is partially the way it is recorded. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a reason that you like closely mic every individual thing and do separate takes so that then because. The, the sonics that a human in the room is going to hear is not the same as what's going to come through the microphone to the headphones. Mm-hmm. And so there's a reason that mastering is such a huge <laughs> part of the music industry. And even bedroom musicians master the individual tracks, even if they don't know that that's what, what they're doing is called. So mm-hmm. I think that they're... It, it there are probably songs that I would like more just if like specific elements were raised a little bit to like jump out and grab me a instead little of kind more. of a, like immediate you know what I mean yeah instead of just being like all in this mid range yeah what do you think about this one? Yeah, I, I would put it as my number seven. I know we're jumping ahead here, mm-hmm. but um, I agree in everything you guys have said. It feels, to me, it's almost like she's like, oh, it's been four years, better put an album out. Yeah, a, a little bit of an obligation. Yes. Yeah. You know, I, again, I, I, I feel it's one of her stronger because of all of everything she had to hand and all the pieces and parts that she was in control of. I still placed higher than the other two I, I gave ranking on. What was the one? Um, son of a son of a yeah, the son of a 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 son of
um, front porch, back door, whatever. This yeah, song is. it's just and probably the one I've listened to the least is this album. Yeah. So and again, Shelby, not a bad album. It's just I know. Um, yeah, so Shelby, if you're listening, we love yes, you. Yes. Yes. Uh, exactly. <laughs> so and the thing is that like I know that you put Identity Crisis down here. I'm not again. I'm not saying I'm gonna fight for a little bit more on this mm-hmm. one here, just in terms of rankings. But if we can go with I can't imagine at number eight, and would you feel the same about Tears, Lies, and Alibis at number seven, or would you have? Um, oh, I would flip those. Oh, really? I would put I Can't Imagine below Tears Lies. Oh, that's, I, I that's, what, that's what I meant. Sorry. Yeah. I would too. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Then let's go ahead. Let's lock it in. I Can't Imagine at number eight. And then Tears Lies at number seven? That sounds good to me. <laughs> okay. That sounds fine. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Well, good, I'm okay good, with good, that because like the bottom, the bottom yeah. four to me are very interchangeable. Yeah. You know. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. I think we all could pick a different one that's kind of in that same little slush pile. Yeah. yeah. It's one of those things where I wasn't yeah. sure because also I know there's some people that could very much feel like, oh, I can't imagine really has that Laurel Canyon, you know, deep 60s kind of, you know, rock folk sound that, you know, a lot of people enjoy. Like, some people can really enjoy it. Obviously, one of the other critics I worked with at Pop Matters really enjoyed it as well, which I thought, okay, cool, whatever. Uh, but, yeah, not my personal thing. But now that leads us into a very tight little thing because what we have left is I'm Shelby Lynn, Identity Crisis Suit Your just a little love in Revelation Road and not dark yet. Nathan, what would you do? I mean, he already, you already know what he wants next. I, identity crisis, yes. Well, no, yes, if we're going to put it at number seven, you know, if it's not number nine, <laughs> you guys want it higher. Yeah. I mean, you know, my, my number seven is, no, I was, I can imagine. But yeah. it's already been chosen as a. Yeah. Right. yeah, I mean, I it's just. It's hard because there's, like, they're all good. So. Yeah. It just it feels wrong to me to put Identity Crisis below, Tears like, like, three more of these. <laughs> <laughs> well, then don't. Yeah. No, no, no. But that's not how it works. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. I could be convinced. Because, like I said, the, like, the back half is, is pretty weak, but. Listen, I would. I, go ahead. For me, up next would probably be "Suit Yourself." Oh. Oh no! <laughs> I hit a nerve with that one. Oh. Okay. okay. Uh, walk us through what you what you uh, your feelings. Um, I think that it it falls into a similar trap as the complaints that I had about, like, I can't imagine. Uh, yeah, mostly yeah. just I, I can't imagine and, like, the back half of Identity Crisis and that there's... I just don't... I don't hear a ton of newness to it. And then... But then on the back half, there's some songs that I really, really like. I think Johnny and June, or Johnny Met June, is, like, again, like, easily, easily oh like, God, top yes. 20 of her tracks. I don't oh, know if it's too much higher than that for me. Five. Top five. Yeah. Oh, damn. Yeah, um, song is epic. Yeah. I also yes. think that her cover of Rainy Night in Georgia, which she just calls track 12 as, like, a bonus track on here, is, mm-hmm. like, absolutely stunning. It's seven and a half minutes long, and I love it. Mm-hmm. Love it. Ice T is like a fun little song. Yeah. Um, Ice T is one of her rare little feel good songs. She, yeah. She's she not about heartbreak, but that song was like, oh, that felt nice. I know, yeah. I love that song. Like yes. actual Ice T. Um, yes. And but then, again, other than that, it's just like a lot of. Okay, maybe I like this song a little more than I thought. Um, or this this album because like I actually I think I cry every day is really good too. Mine, I, there's times where I think it's hokey, but ultimately it just gets me every time, especially with the fake out ending you think that it has. I cry every day is hokey. Uh, a little bit. Well, just because like that repetition of the I cry every day, like it's just like a little bit know. kind of like snappy. But I like, think it works. It's yeah. happening every day. Mm-hmm. You I know? feel like with this album, it was one after Identity Crisis. Mm-hmm. I feel like she figured a lot of stuff out. 
you know, and I feel like this is where like personal she growth? planted herself and she really kind of came into her really her definitive Shelby Lynnness. Yes. You know. Um, and I feel like this is where, oh, I know who she is now. Wow. Okay, I get mm-hmm. what she was saying. She everything, I think all the songs, the order of the songs is I I just I mean, yeah, Johnny McJune is one of the most unappreciated songs anybody's ever written. It's it's stellar. Yeah. yeah. I also, I know it's only a minute long, but... You and me? You and me is so dumb. I hate it. it really <laughs> I hate it so I understand, much. like, maybe it's more of, like, a reset button, like, right in the middle of the album to things, but I just, like, Who for 59 cares? seconds, I'm like, really? Like, I, I, that's definitely more one where I'm like, as a writing exercise, sure. Yeah. As something you actually put out on your record, no. Absolutely But for me, oh my god, like, aside from the casual kind of conversations of go with it, like, I love that lean into that so much, but honestly, um, old time's sake, really, really gets me. Like, it's an old school ballad, but it's just like, listen, you're leaving, honey, and so while, you know, we used to have a thing, we don't anymore, but let's just, for old time's sake, let's just have this one last embrace, this one last slow dance, and it's just like, there's something so bittersweet about it that it's just so striking and just Mm -hmm. so gorgeous, and it just envelops me. And that's what the thing we're like, because it has this kind of like, it was literally recorded in a house, uh, you know, like, it's just, like, there's this kind of, like, warm feeling to it. There's just kind of this, like, just pleasant glaze that goes over all of the songs. Because even when she talks about You're the Man, how she's just kind of pointing out the hypocrisies of men in power, making sure uh, poor people are bleeding from their eyeballs, or eye sockets, sorry. Uh, you know, like, it's just striking. Uh, and I really, I don't know, I really, really enjoy this album, like, all the way through. So I can understand why you put it on here, because I feel like it very much is almost a direct sequel to Identity Crisis, uh, an album I still really like. But like I see when you put it here, but I would I would disagree at this. At this I would slot. too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think it belongs higher. What would you What would you throw in its place? Uh, are we on seven now? Uh, six. Six. So, so I did identity crisis. crisis. You keep yeah. asking me. I know. Exactly. I think it's that might be the, the place. One. Might be the place for identity crisis. I feel like we're. You know, we just because out. we've already outvoted you several times on this one here. If we average out where all of our votes, <laughs> it may come in at okay, six. Okay, exactly. Yes. So, uh, fans of the fans, I will say that we will go ahead and we will put in Identity Crisis at number six. Tara feels weird Actually, about it. Actually, I don't like it. Okay, take it back. If we're gonna, I mean, we're talking. This is part of you know debate. Yes. Maybe Tears, Lies, and Alibis falls. There, and Identity Crisis. It's already we are. Yeah, we have. Oh, I'm so sorry. We have I Can't Imagine at eight. We have Tears, Lies, and Alibis at seven. I'm sorry. Um, gosh, there's so many to keep track. I know. (laughs) Which is a lovely thing to have. Yeah. Yeah. um, Yeah, that's good. Six. Identity Crisis. Yeah. 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 I think we have. We can give that one. Terrence still has issues. Because he would put it at nine. Yeah. Where would you put it, Evan? Uh, Let's just spoil it since we're burying it. I mean, where, what place would you put it? Probably, I mean, I didn't have, I never have rankings going into this. I just go off gut emotion, but if I were to say top, top three. Okay. What about you? Yeah, me too. Okay. Probably yeah. top three. Yeah. So, it's okay. But the, this no. is halfway between. We're at the halfway point. It's all yeah. good. So, yes. exactly. Number nine, Love Shelby. Number eight, Can't Imagine. Number seven, Tears Lies. Number six, Identity Crisis. I'm leaving. I am I, I am Shelby Lynn. Suit yourself. Just a little love in Revelation Road and not dark yet is what we got left. Yes. So at this point, this gets really, really tricky now, and so I'm just going to throw something out there just to see. I just okay. want to kind of play the room, because any one of these albums, these are all very, very good albums, I would say. My nomination for the next slot would be Not not Dark Yet. 
And the reason for that is that although it's one of those things where produced by Teddy Thompson, it has very much more kind of a lived-in rustic feel. And obviously her working with Allison is a very big, big, big deal to her. Because like while she's guested on her albums before, they never recorded a full album together. Mm -hmm. And when they record together, they do nothing but covers, which I think is an interesting move because these are songs that they have a great affinity for. Mm -hmm. And at times, I think the collaboration absolutely works. I like the original song they wrote on it here, Is It Too Much, that closing song, because it's dark and it's mm -hmm. a little bit sinewy and there's like weird textures going on i dig it i think their cover of uh into my arms by nick cave i think that is stunning yes. it oh, is so truly good. stellar but when we get to like their nirvana cover well, i li check out lithium, i check out lithium gives me anxiety to listen to just because the harmonies are so so all over the fucking place yes I'm like, what chord are you on? What's going on? That's, and I get that that's what, you know, Kurt Cobain and Nirvana did. That's yeah. their sound. I don't know that that could ever transpose into a different genre. It's just not made for that. Right. I also feel like this is the the one time where I was listening to this week where I was like, mm, this could have used a little auto-tune. <laughs> you know? Like, there were just... They're, like, on Lithium specifically, and of course, they're singing Nirvana, so it makes yes. sense, but this was the one time besides, like, on Love Shelby where I was like, this is strident. Mm -hmm. Like, you are pushing this out of your throat, well, and it, it isn't sounding great. I mean, for the Nirvana fans, imagine, you know, Kurt, Kurt Cobain's, like, really raw, like, forced... Completely! ...emotional vocals. I understand and someone, why. And someone trying to, like beautifully harmonize that in the same chords and keys and it just did not work um the rest of the album i loved also you know her sister allison just released her memoir blood called blood and now we'll go along with it yeah. yes so for people who aren't familiar with the book world she probably began writing it when they set this album out mm -hmm. and so you think about that whole story the two sisters coming together to make an album called not dark yet and if you don't know the story, um, their parents were murdered. Um, so that kind of like ties into the not dark yet, coming together, singing out together, finally, her sister writing her memoir. It kind of, which is now takes about two years for a book from writing to put on the shelves to happen. Mm -hmm. So that kind of makes sense. So you feel like in her writing process, she almost reached out I to Shelby as a way to be like... Let's talk about the book. I'm going to write the story. Oh, let's sing an album together, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you know, let's do mm -hmm. some covers we like. Let's do some songs we like. You so know. The, except it opens with my list, like, an uh, indescript killer song. That one, like, is another one that doesn't do it for me. See, I... So I actually listened to, not all of, but a couple of the, like, originals to sort of as to compare... The what version. they're doing and yeah. oh my gosh they improved my list so much <laughs> <laughs> i mean it really it really like you know they transformed it into a country ballad and with the harmonies they're doing it's gorgeous and then you listen to the original and it's just brandon flowers like <laughs> whining over some bad synths yeah. um and so That's like kind of their whole thing i mean i know it's kind of their whole thing but like it really was such a stark contrast that then it kind of made me like the cover even more to be like wow you really like took this song and owned it and yeah. made it their own and i actually i also really like and part of why i like that we're including this album is because i really can't tell their voices apart i even listened yeah. i even listened to a couple alice and Moore songs just to like sort of see what she was about and i was like wow it sounds a whole lot like mm -hmm. shelby lynn yeah you know yeah. <laughs> like and and i and i think that's really fun because then it 
it sort of just feels like familial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It feels really familial. It feels like they're very connected and they they harmonize beautifully with each other to the extent that it sounds like Shelby multitracking herself. You yeah. know? And I and I'm sure that there are songs that Allison takes lead on and I can't tell and I kinda love that. Yeah. You yeah. know? Shelby when she when she performs, she talks about Allison a great deal and with a deep, deep love. Mm. Um, calls her sissy. Yeah. In shows. Um, if you listen to her live, couple, she has a live album as well. I mean, she says sissy. She, Shelby loves Allison so much and is so proud of her and wants her to be successful. So to, to know that you got that from listening is exactly what they both would have wanted to, to the yeah. listener to get. So that's awesome. Yeah. And I will say that although I'm nominating it here, I still stand by that. Uh, the thing is, there's still incredible moments here. And for me, honestly, the most striking one is not dark yet because m- melodically, I keep thinking it's going to turn into the weight by the band. You know, take a load off and like, <laughs> it's, like it's like that same exact chord structure, but not dark yet. But it's not dark yet. You know, like it's just so beautiful the way they do it. There's a little bit of kind of a dark cloud hanging over this album, but mm-hmm. like one that they built, one that they have you know mm-hmm. created, and I do like that. So oh, it's, yeah. I also just want to briefly mention. Um, I'm looking for Blue Eyes has mm-hmm. like some of the best vocals in her career. Oh my god, you're kidding? Just, yes, yes, oh yes, yes. God, so yes. gorgeous. And that's like so many of my favorite tracks from her are just like, you know, it starts and for the first minute I'm like, okay, it's a Shelby Lynn song. And then she just like gets up there and sings this gorgeous. And a lot of times it doesn't even happen again. Like so many songs I, I like absolutely love like the middle 30 seconds and then she doesn't bring that motif back and then which sort of is perfect because then I want to listen to the song again I feel like she does that a ton where it's just like you know verse chorus bridge verse chorus done yeah yeah I would would be fine (laughs) with this album in this spot okay yeah I feel like it's a solid placement Mm -hmm. um it's again I think it's a gorgeous album um when I listen to frequently, uh, but this ranking I think is about right on where I put it okay. as well. I agree there. Would you feel how you feel that feel that way? Um. Yeah. Question mark. Yeah. 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 You still want Identity yeah. Crisis higher? I know. I I, know. I do. I do still want Identity Crisis higher, and oh, yeah. I also really would want Suit Yourself next. That and we're, here's the thing: we're that. at that point where the thing is, if we lock in uh, not Dark Yet at number five, which we actually just did, um, I'd say between I Am Shelby Lynn, Suit Yourself, Just a Little Lovin', and Revelation Road, I oh, you're it may might have some disagreement. No, there. no, this is going to be hard. Yes, no, yeah. so I absolutely difficult. agree. Because here's the thing, and I mean this going into this week, I liked Revelation Road, but this is the week that Revelation Road clicked for me in a big way. Because I remember just being like, okay, I didn't necessarily realize that she played every instrument on it, which kind of makes it the uh, sonic aesthetic all the more impressive. Mm-hmm. But then realizing what she is doing, and for someone who, quote, don't doesn't talk about themselves all that much, to put the details that she does into the lyrics of this album is stunning is actually stunning. And the fact that she's able to, in telling the story of growing up, in telling the story of her drunken dad shooting their mom in front of them before, Mm -hmm. you know, like before killing himself, Mm -hmm. and to put that in a song, and then to also even have a song called Even Angels, kind of this lighter, slightly buoyant, bluesy pop number in there, to make it all of that there and still work is stunning to me. See, the thing is, but the... The thing about Even Angels is that, like, while the description you just gave it is not incorrect, the fact that it's on this album gives it such a more, like, 
depressing yes. spin when you think about like the topic that she is covering over the course of this record and you apply that to that song and the lyrics that it holds, it's like really, like it really actually kind of gets to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And that sort of overshadows any like minor hokiness that you might have in the subject matter just because it's like, it's such a devastating thing to cover. Yeah. Yeah, No, this is, this is about where I thought I'd be with my top four. So... And this is going to be really, really hard to write from here on. But we got to do it, so it's yeah. what we're here for. Yeah. What the listeners want, so... <laughs> so what, it's what they're demanding, basically. I, mean, since, I just checked the tweets right now. They're yes. talking about it. Since we're talking about it, I'm just going to go ahead and say that this is where I would put Revelation Row. Okay. I think it's great. I think the opening track is fantastic. Fucking one, one, one it, of her top five best, it, genuinely. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, <laughs> But it's really, really great, and it it absolutely, like, I think it covers sonic and even melodic ground that you don't see a ton in her discography, and I think that's part of why it stands out so much, is because it's not just, it's not like, you know, a classic country song or a classic blues song. It really is stepping out in its own, like, it feels indebted to those lineages, but it absolutely is stepping out into its own Place. And she doesn't have like you and me style like a little interlude goofy shit. You no, know, no, there's no goofy yeah. shit to be found. Yeah. Um, also, "Lead Me Love" is a gorgeous oh, yeah. little like it, it's this this moment of like brevity mm-hmm. in this very dark record. It's a dark album. Yes. And like you said, I mean, just like the, the the title track, it's her revealing much about herself that she finally felt. I'm gonna write all the songs play all the instruments, produce it myself. Yeah, it's, it's, and I, and I give her props for that because it's why it's one of my favorites of hers. Um, I'd put Suit Yourself at number four. Um, I think this one's probably a little bit higher than that. This is one of my top three of hers. Okay. Um, oh, wait, yeah. sorry. Yeah, suit, four. I would, sorry, Suit Yourself first. Yeah. Then Revelation. Yes. I, I am perfectly, I'm perfectly fine with putting Suit Yourself there. That is not even a question for me. That yes. Is like, the thing is that we're at that point now where, especially about Not Dark Yet, Suit Yourself is still a lovely, lived-in, feel-good, uh, mm-hmm. I would, yeah, I would say feel-good record, ultimately, at the yeah. end of the day. Um, oh, absolutely. And, and the thing, uh, just to jump on that Revelation Road topic, I agree, it is absolutely dark, but in its own weird way, and I mean this truly, and don't misconstrue this when I say it, I don't think it's depressing, just no. because... She seems to be at peace with telling the story finally. She's yeah. she invites yeah. you in. And if the thing is it's not a melodically cold album. It's not a depressing album so much as it's a real album. You know, like there's a there's a fine line of difference in mm-hmm. between her tackling the subject matter too. And again, even when she does like even like even angels fall when she does that and like it repeats that like five times on the last last chorus there it doesn't feel excessive in its own way mm-hmm. like it's just like she's still kind of like living into that moment as well her doing all the instruments herself I think was a little bit freeing because it kind of made her focus a little bit in terms of what she wants to say melodically instead of you know tossing it to the bassist or anything else mm-hmm. like that like do this she kind of had a little bit more precision in terms of how she did it, which kind of I kind of feel bad because I wanted to see her go back to that again but I still respect her for what she was able to do with this because I'm sure it was a shit ton of fucking work yes yeah and I'm also very you know even although her but of her music comes from her being very personal and very revealing but of heartbreak this one is probably the most of that. I think she really dug deep and thought, 
how much about myself do I want to talk about? Mm-hmm. And I think to your point, I made peace with all these things. I'm ready to say some stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do it this way. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I it, it's, so I think on number four at all, I think this one for me is, I think this is my number three. Okay. In the top three. Do you feel good about putting it there at number three? Yeah, that's where I nominated okay, it. Okay, Which good. I, yeah. I, I'm having internal angst about this for this reason. Um, because you always want for an artist to grow in their career and get better and better and better, which leaves the last two albums on our list is two of her older ones, uh-huh. one of which is songs she didn't write. <laughs> yes! <laughs> so that to me is such a like internal struggle. I mean, but because... they're also... Um, we've, we have before basically just like ranked the albums in reverse chronological order. Not like intentionally. Right. It's just, it's like just how like it, it, it just right. happened. And Sorry, so, Weezer. Right. Or and I think I we did that for Decemberists yeah. too. And I, and, but like at least the two we have left are over a decade apart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and with Revelation in particular, this is when I first saw her uh, show, her, her perform. Um, and my cool story is I was trying to keep brief because now we're on, on a time crunch here. We're trying to keep on track. Oh, we're good. Yeah. Oh, we can oh, great. go over it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so everybody remembers people living in Chicago in particular, but it was also the news media, the gigantic snowpocalypse that uh-huh. shut down Lakeshore Drive. Mm-hmm. Like it was ice everywhere. Abandoned cars. Yes. Even. So Shelby Lynn was in Chicago performing at Evanston in space, uh-huh. the, the concert venue. Um, I didn't get tickets, but I was going to have to work that night because I was so pissed I was going to miss her show. Closed my work early, got out, I thought, I'm just going to go to her show. I'm going to find a way to get there. I, there. At this time, there were no Ubers or Lyfts, so I, yeah. I had to find a cab to get me there because um, I didn't want to drive up there. Um, shocked they were still having the show on because there were literally maybe 20 people in the audience. Wow. Because no one because it was this massive fucking snowstorm right. that was blowing down all of Chicago. So, Evan, so space has, you know, you can sit in these tables around the, the stage or just stand. and standing in room in the back for yeah. those of you who not been there yet. I had to take it way in the back. Of course, since nobody was there, I was right in the very front. It was me and two feet in the stage. Looking up, completely enwrapped in what I was witnessing. My first time seeing her perform live, it was her and another uh, gentleman playing guitar for her. Um, this gorgeous, I mean, beautiful performance. You know, of course, my my favorite song of hers, not to get too far ahead, is Dream Some. Mm. Um, I just, like, melt into a puddle of goo for Dream Some. So I, I feel more confident, like, I go, I just shout to her, play Dream Some, and she looks at me and she winks, and then she played it. Oh! <laughs> and at the end of the show, you know, was, you know, to the small applause she got, she was so grateful that people actually came to the show. She thought nobody would come because of the snowstorm. She walked over and handed me her guitar pick. <gasps> yeah. Which is what I wanted to bring tonight. I forgot to bring and show you yeah. guys. So, oh, man. And it's actual. It's a Shelby Wynn. It has her, her name on the guitar oh, pick. That's I have framed. So it's my... Right, it's a Revelation Road tour, so to yeah. speak. So I have a, a very deep affection for this album in particular for that reason. Yeah. My first time seeing her. So that's my cool story about my first time seeing Shelby of three and hopefully many, many more. Yeah. So, oh, that's so good. Yeah. So moving on here. Yeah, exactly. Well, now we're down to 1999's I Am Shelby Lynn and 2008's Just a Little Lovin'. I and I can't do it. I can't. <laughs> you can't do it. I can do it, baby. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Oh. 
Uh, when I reviewed it for Pot Matters, Just the Lovin' was one of those rare albums I gave a 9 out of 10. Because here's the thing, when you're covering the Dusty Springfield, you know, songbook, I mean, we just did our Tarantino episode where Son of a Preacher Man is a prominent mm-hmm. thing. There's a lot of Dusty Springfield classics on there. And she, like, aside from the look of love, she doesn't necessarily play the big, you know, ones there. She does a lot of, like, quieter, simple numbers. Honestly, an opening <clears throat> with this very, very drawn-out, very, you know... Angelic, just a little love and just a little love. I mean, to hear the drumstick rap on the drum frame like that click sound in that opening of Just a Lovin', yeah. Like, uh, yeah, you just you melt into that moment with her. Yeah, like the and, thing is, and her vocals like just like wave over you, and you are calm. And I, I love how because again, I there was so many covers and, and songs that I recognized on here that I went back and like listened to a bunch of the originals too and I love because Dusty Springfield was really part of the era where it was still sort of coming out of that like big band Frank Sinatra like everything has a full orchestra on it yeah and I just love how this record strips that away but still doesn't lose any of the majesty of it mm-hmm. like these songs still absolutely resonate even when you know it's just her and a guitar like a lot of them do more than that of course but it really it it speaks to both the strong songwriting of like the dusty springfield field like factory rack and yeah, yeah. but also just like how fantastic Shelby is as a performer and as an arranger just to like bring these songs to life mm-hmm. in, in an incredible way. And if you think of anybody who could do justice to Dusty's songs, her vocals, just in general, mm-hmm. somewhat, I mean, Shelby just even sounds that kind of airy, breathy singing like Dusty had almost. I mm-hmm. think she did the best, the best, I think she was the best person to do this. You could, but the thing is, it's not an imitation. Okay. It's very oh, much, exactly, not. right. No, and no, that's, no, I think, the biggest no. thing about it when she does these songs, because the thing is, Phil Ramone is the producer, Phil Ramone produced some of the later era Frank Sinatra albums. Mm-hmm. She sang the vocals on Frank Sinatra's microphone. Like, that was one of the things they brought into the studio mm-hmm. for this. And the clarity of the production really goes to the fact for that for a someone who doesn't, again, who doesn't really oversing, her understated vocals are so perfect, but she still finds those points to, like, hit those right notes, those mm-hmm. right little warbles to hit in there, where it just sound is incredible. Even when it's something a little bit more casual, like, breakfast in bed. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not overt, it's not too sexual, it's not any, it's just like this very but casual... But it is still kind of sexual. It's steamy. Yeah. You it's know? definitely... It's seductive. That's part of why oh. what I really yeah. like about Just a Little Lovin' and Breakfast in Bed is that the originals were great, but she brings this, like, sultriness to... Sultry is the word. Yeah, to these for. songs Absolutely. that yeah. definitely was not there. And she very obviously chose not to do Dusty's biggest hit, Son of a Preacher Man. Yeah. Which I'd be curious to know why. I'd love to ask her. Maybe she I just, saw a maybe quote. She just yeah. didn't want to touch it. Like yeah. it's, it's kind of like her... She said that Dusty owns that song. Yes. Which makes sense to me to hear her say that. Yes. Um, I, yeah. And to me also, again, this speaks to all of the wonderful things about Shelby. To me, the best song on this album is the one that she wrote, Pretend. Pretend, the acoustic one. That song, if you don't hear that song and, like, feel like your heart's been splayed open, I don't know what kind of human being you are. I mean, if to read the lyrics, you're thinking, oh my god, this person is, I will let you abuse me, just say that you love me. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's an amazing 
stellar, like just heartbreaking, beautiful song. And it's, and it's just near the end. She gets to this pulled like dusty catalog, throws in a, a Shelby song. Yeah. Um, but you notice that that song follows I Don't Want to Hear It Anymore, too. Right. Which is a song that, like, when she's talking about, like, fights, you know, going on and wanting to hide these things. But the walls are much too thin. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's just this very nice end joiner, this note. It's like she, the album wasn't just recorded with this, all of the specific things in mind. It's structured in that way, too. Mm-hmm. Where there's, like, she didn't open with Breakfast in Bed. She puts that as kind of a little bit of a pressure relief kind of in the middle. Just like, we're not going to get too dramatic here. Like, it's, mm-hmm. she goes through the emotions. It is an album that I just live in when mm-hmm. I listen to it like it's one of the things I still I understand why you wouldn't want to call it a jazz album but at the very least there are still jazz overtones to no, it no 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 I yeah. completely disagree that it's jazz I think that there are there's a lot of like it feels a lot more like songbook standards that's to me right than... I, I, I think jazz is a, yes it's a songbook album I don't think it's jazz I mean, yeah there are jazz flavors that kind of hit but I don't think it's a jazz album. There's not a, there's not that. enough like soloing and improvisation and like there, yeah it maybe is is indebted to jazz a little bit but like there's no like big horn moments there's no like okay what no I'm just thinking about I'm just thinking about some of the classic like jazz albums like Bill Evans when it's just like piano and stand up bass and drums and just trap like that like but classic Bach era classic it doesn't always have to be like lead-ins of horns or anything like that like there's still always those elements that okay come in, which is but, why uh, when I hear it I think about like those great jazz balladeers I think about those kind of things that come in and just strike me. I'm just saying. Oh, just see, so, saying of, yeah. so that's the thing is like when you say like a jazz ballad, like yeah. that's a that's not the same thing as saying jazz to me. Do you know? What, does that make sense? Yeah. Like a jazz ballad is a, a ballad is a ballad, and mm-hmm. that is a whole different genre. And, and especially when she is doing those ballads that may have been a little jazzy, now they're like more towards a country ballad because of the style that she's doing in them. Commenters, sound off. I want you to jump in on here and let us know what you think. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, it's still an incredible album. It is still yes. for taking someone else's songs and to reinterpret them and put them at a focal point of your worldview and your performance aesthetic. Mm-hmm. It's striking. It's not my number one album, mm-hmm. though, if I'm honest with myself. Mm-hmm. Because I just want to briefly talk about how I am Shelby Lynn is such a fucking knockout of an of a record that it almost it has a genre but it doesn't at the same time because every song feels like its own flavor its yeah. own dimension its Bounces own thing all that it's going into and it's just so goddamn good. I mean, again, opening with the fucking wall of sound yes. of your lies is incredible. But then even to go into just kind of a, like a soul snap of leaving, and then all of a sudden to go into the rock sounds of life is bad, uh, you know, talking about the traces of a room and just you know the vocals on there and kind of those raw country guitars, like this album like straight through is just such a pure enjoyment for me and even Dream Sun again had kind of this nice little like bossa nova almost rhythm and then it just DMS me like just these beautiful little elements come in it's just so many of my favorite songs trace back to here and I love pretty much every one of these records in some form or another that we've talked about since then but I also feel like so many of these records their roots can be found in I'm Shelby Lynn not necessarily mm-hmm. even in her pre or epic records early country days a lot of what her career became stems from this record right yeah <clears throat> I mean there, every I would agree every song on this is some sort of like musical ride for the <laughs> listener yeah um, thought it would be easier is like this wavy like introduction oh, yeah. into gotta get back which is that super like poppy yeah. hook 
which was her big radio hit, which got her the Grammy yeah. um, for the whole album. The opening, that big blare of the sound for yeah, for your lies, and then, like I said, Dream Some, which just, again, turns me to goo every time I hear yeah. it. Oh, for the one and, that turns me to goo is honestly where I'm from, because when yeah. she starts doing the French lyrics and then the strings come in, the, all I'm trying to say, you know, there's mm-hmm. like this little like, kind of sweet writing that's going on there. I'm just like, oh my God. Yes. Oh, it just is so goddamn awesome. Even Black Light Blue is just kind of the smoky little, like, you know, dusty, dim light lounge closer of a song. It's just like... What's kind of her, like, she's done, she's packed up, and she's walking away, and she flicks her cigarette as she leaves the stage. (laughs) This is what Black Light Blue is. It's like this, this beautiful... Like a little more, a little dressed down finish of the album. It was just kind of like the circling end of the whole piece. Completely. And I also feel like Blacklight Blue, and and sort of this album in general, but that song specifically is where I was like, okay, the Dusty Springfield thing makes so much sense Mm -hmm. because it's absolutely production and everything. It's, It's like a Dusty Springfield ballad like straight out of it you know and then it's interesting because then i feel like on just a little love in the actual covers album she didn't go quite directly there as right. often she didn't remake dusty she mm-hmm. put her own spin on it right. whereas like this feels a lot more of like a direct homage yeah. right anything else to I mean, say? you, you guys said yeah. what i wanted to Here, say about yeah. this record here's, all of my favorites i would rank them and i i will Oh my god, this is so hard, you guys. I know. Um, <laughs> just for the pure reasoning that she had more of a hand in I'm Shelby Lynn, I would put just I would put the Dusty album number two. Um, I'm Shelby Lynn number one. Yeah. Just because I feel like that's more her. Mm-hmm. Um, she and she had more into the whole the integral parts of the album where quote unquote it's a covers album is the other one. So I, I oh man, it's so hard. I, I would agree them. with you. That's what I'm so trying to much. say. They're heavy rotation, both of them. But I think if you have to rank for, there are many reasons besides the vocal, you know, majesty, as you said, mm-hmm. of Just Little Lovin', which I think probably is her strongest vocal album. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would agree with opinion, that. Uh, because she had to be, because it was, that's, that was what she could give to it. Right. Yeah. Um, like, her strengths as an interpreter aren't in question, but I love her strengths as a songwriter, too. Yes. And I feel like I am Shelby Lynn points yeah. to that. Yes. So in that case, guys, it's time for the infamous Locked It In segment, brought to you by Tom's, where we get to lock in the albums and say, number nine, Love Shelby. Number eight, I Can't Imagine. Number seven, Tears, Lies, and Alibis. Number six, Identity Crisis. <laughs> number five, Not Dark Yet. Number four, Seat Yourself. Number three, Revelation Road. Number two, Just Love Lovin'. And number one, as always, as we all know, is Merry Christmas from 2010. Incredible, great record. Everyone oh, loves the no. sub. Number one is I'm Shelby Lynn. But guys, we have so much more to talk about. We need to talk about seeing her live. We need to talk about her change, her early country career. So many other just different weird, fun aspects about her life. That's what we are here for. That's what the Happy Hour mini is for right after this. But before we get to there, Nathan... Thank you so much for being here. Yes. Genuinely. This has been wonderful. Yeah. It's been fun to talk about somebody I love, and I, I'm so happy to know that she has more more fans here in Chicago. I didn't know that you liked her this much, and it's good to know that you do, which <laughs> and, and not surprising because you appreciate good music. So. Yeah. yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I'm going to get that as a tagline for the podcast. Yes. We appreciate good music here, right? Right? And I highly recommend you guys, and listeners, if you get the chance to see Shelby Live, do. Even if you're not, it's not country. Um, it's country flavored. She's Americana. She's folk. She's blues. Um, she's more singer songwriter. She's songbook. 
Um, it's definitely a show worth going. It's an experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost always acoustic. Uh, it's just her and her songwriting, her heart and her singing. Yeah, uh, it's quite the quite the, the the thing to do. And Taryn, as always, I wish you nothing but just a little love. <laughs> okay. Alright guys, I'm gonna go meet Jesus on the ground. Oh, no! no! <laughs> Alright guys, if you could just do us a favor, if you wouldn't mind, uh, obviously follow us on all the different places, Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes. If you leave us a ranking on any of those things, we always appreciate it, and we know who you are, because we stock it obsessively. More importantly though, <laughs> if you have any questions, please, as always, email us at thetrackmarsatgmail.com, and please keep on listening, because you know that we'll be. Have a good one, guys. Goodbye! Hey, this is Kyle Hawk from It's All Dead, a podcast about the music we love and why we love it. Our show is a free-flowing conversation featuring a rotating cast of guests, including musicians, music journalists, and music enthusiasts, sharing how the music is still alive and well. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app, and then come visit us at itsalldead.com.